Hey, about five weeks ago or so, we were in the book of Joshua. Do you remember that? Been a while. We walked through our Living Generously series and experienced this amazing encouragement from the Lord to live generously for His purposes, to live seeking to become a ready bride of Christ, helping others find God and follow Him, being a church family that, that strives to love God, love people, and help others do the same. It's been a great experience. I'm excited to get back into Joshua. The last time we were in Joshua, Joshua, we talked a little bit about life being some assembly required. Remember that? Some assembly required life. We know what that's like. I mean, there are challenges in life. And you know, some of the challenges in life come because even though God has given us His promises and they are all as good as fulfilled in Christ, not all of His promises are fully realized in every moment of life. We, we feel like in some sense we're waiting and holding on to the Lord to fulfill and help us realize his promises well that makes some of life challenging because we're waiting for God's promises to be fully realized another thing that makes life some assembly required or challenging is the fact that we live in a time where the enemy against us and against the Lord is defeated but is still dangerous the enemy has been subdued but that does not mean the enemy does not create trials and difficulties in our efforts to trust the Lord, to be the people who follow Him with all that we are. As we think about life and its challenges, it requires us to take next steps of following the Lord. Our next steps are critical. We've been talking about them for weeks, and we've each determined we have next steps to take in following the Lord. In the midst of life challenges, we can expect that life will present opportunities for every one of us to make decisions about taking our very next steps of following the Lord. What I want to do this morning is encourage you in your next steps through Joshua chapter 18 and 19. So let's turn to Joshua chapter 18 and we're going to read the first 10 verses in Joshua 18. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and so read along with me in the version that you have there with you. The entire Israelite community assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The land had been subdued before them, but seven tribes among the Israelites were left who had not divided up their inheritance. So Joshua asked the Israelites, how long will you delay going out to take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your fathers, gave you? Appoint for yourselves three men from each tribe. I will send them out. They are to go and survey the land, write a description of it for the purpose of their inheritance, and return to me. Then they are to divide up into seven portions. Judah is to remain in its territory in the south, and Joseph's family in their territory to the north, when you have written a description of the seven portions of land and brought it to me, I will cast lots for you here in the presence of the Lord our God. But the Levites among you do not get a portion, because their inheritance is the priesthood of the Lord. Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh 
have taken their inheritance beyond the Jordan to the east, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave them. As the men prepared to go, Joshua commanded them to write down a description of the land, saying, Go and survey the land, write a description of it, and return to me. I will cast lots for you here in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. So the men left, they went through the land, they described it by towns in a document of seven sections. They returned to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Joshua cast lots for them at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord, where he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their divisions. All of Israel gathers at Shiloh and they set up the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting is the place where God met with Moses, where God met with Joshua. This tent of meeting represents the presence of the Lord with His people. The very beginning of this section of Joshua, we hear an emphasis again and again about the presence of the Lord. They've come and they've gathered and they trust the Lord is going to take care of them. And they have seven tribes who have not received their allotted inheritance. Now God has given them the land and the land is subdued before them. But now they need to take their very next steps out into the land to take what God has given them. And God's presence is emphasized in what's going to be unfolding here. So there's no mistake at who it is that has given them the land. Joshua gives them these instructions and tells groups of three, seven teams of three, to go out into the land. Now, I just am imagining what that would have been like. Be given these instructions in groups of three, you're to grow out, go out into the land, and you're to walk across this massive area of land, and you are to look at this land and write down a description of this land and you are to divide it into seven sections. I can imagine these groups going out. I mean, think about what it would be like. If you've ever done this, have you ever gone to a subdivision that's just being developed and it's just a bunch of lots? If you've ever done that and just driven around and looked at lots, you're, you're looking at lots and if you're interested in getting a lot in that subdivision, you're looking at that land that's been subdivided up and you're looking at that land and you're thinking to yourself, if I were to choose a lot, which one would I choose? Now can you imagine seven groups of three men going out into a vast territory, been given the task to divide up this land into seven divisions, knowing full well when they get back, that their opinions about which section their tribe would be best served by don't matter. So they've gone out there, they've looked at the land, and I suspect each of them in their groups of three have talked about which section they would prefer. I mean, wouldn't it make sense that they go out and they're looking at the land and they've talked about, I hope we get this one. Man, I hope we don't get that one. And they've divided it up into seven sections. They've made their decision and they come back and they know that when they bring those divisions back that those divisions are going to be allotted by casting of lots. Now every time casting of lots is mentioned in this description, it is mentioned in combination with the Lord's presence. They're going out and they're determining the vision, divisions. They're coming back to Joshua and they're listing out the seven areas. But each of the seven tribes are going to be thrown into a hat. 
and their names can be drawn out according to the order of the divisions that they have established before Joshua. And the moment that first name is drawn, they will have heard God's plan for their tribe. Because it is God who is determining who gets what. In Proverbs 16, says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Joshua says, I'm going to cast these lots in the presence of the Lord. You all need to recognize that when your name is drawn, your name is being drawn in the order and for the land that God has determined to give you. This is what God wants for you. So these groups of three are coming back with whatever they have in their minds about what has happened in dividing the land, whether they want this piece or that piece, and they've got to decide in that moment in the presence of the Lord, will we want what God wants for us? Will we want what God wants? Or will we want what we want. They bring back the divisions and Joshua begins to cast the lots and God determines the allotments. The first allotment goes to Benjamin. The rest of chapter 18 is the description of Benjamin's territory. He's first in the line of seven. There's a lot of attention given to Benjamin. But when you read through the allotment of Benjamin, you're going to read about the territory. You're going to read about the, the borders of the territory. You're going to read about the cities in Benjamin. Then you're going to read about numbers of cities in Benjamin. You're going to get this lengthy description of details around the, the area or the allotment of land that's given to Benjamin. Now what you're going to have there, we're not going to read through all the details together. I encourage you to read them uh, during the week and see the details here and appreciate what would have been felt by those who actually lived in the land when their land is described in this level of detail. But what's established in this detail is a pattern. There is a description of each of these tribes given in a pattern. And the pattern is, here's the territory, here's the borders, here's the cities, and here's the number of cities. And this pattern is going to be followed with the description of each of the seven tribes up until the last tribe, Dan. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I do want to point out something with Simeon. Simeon is next. And I want to read just a little bit of what happens with Simeon. So look at chapter 19, verse 1. The second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of his descendants by their clans. But their inheritance was within the inheritance given to Judah's descendants. Now what in the world went on with those 21 guys, groups of three out there, and made them decide, hey, one of our divisions needs to be in Judah's land. Maybe they thought Judah has way too much land and we like what they're not using. Maybe they thought no one's in this land and we need to have this land for these seven tribes. Whatever, whatever happened, in that description, one of the seven divisions was actually inside of Judah's allotment. Now remember, Judah went first, and then Joseph. And so Judah's already got 
the land. And so one of the seven divisions is actually in Judah's land. I've got to believe that somehow that wasn't the preferred division. I mean, if you're one of the seven, would you want to be given the division that actually belonged to somebody else? And you don't really get your own land, you live in somebody else's land? I, I suspect that everybody was sitting there thinking, I don't want to be drawn second. But somebody was going to be drawn second, and it was Simeon. He was drawn second. He didn't get his own land. He lived in the land of Judah. Now, interestingly enough, if you go back to Genesis chapter 49, you're going to find there Jacob, the father of the 12 sons that make up the tribes of Israel. You're going to find Jacob giving a final blessing over his kids. And it's really a prophetic statement about his kids. And it's really interesting that, that, that Jacob says about Simeon and Levi that these two tribes are going to be scattered in the land of their brothers. In other words, Simeon and Levi are not going to get their own land. They're going to be scattered in the land of their brothers. And sure enough, God's plan is that Simeon live in the land allotted to Judah. And that Levi doesn't even inherit land. And they're scattered in the land of their brothers. I want you to see two things. Number one, I want you to see that this whole story is not ultimately about land. This whole story is ultimately about the presence of God. You, you see here in this story, you are told again of Levi. Levi doesn't get an inheritance of land, but Levi instead gets an inheritance of the Lord. The, the land is only as significant as the Lord's presence is in the land. If the Lord's presence is not in the land, the land doesn't mean anything. The, the reason God is giving His people land at all is so that His people would experience in the land that He's provided them His presence. And Levi, the tribe of Levi, has the unique responsibility of bringing about the presence of God for the people in all the land. The land is only as significant as the presence of God in the land. That's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing I want you to see out of Simeon and Levi is that Simeon had a choice to make. Are we going to accept God's allotment for us? Are we going to accept that what God wants for us is what we should want for ourselves? Simeon is given an allotment inside of Judah and apparently Simeon accepts that lot as what God wants for them. And because it's what God wants for them, they know that's what's best and right. And you'll see the pattern continue in the descriptions of the land that are allotted to the remaining tribes. You see Simeon's description, Zebulun's description, Issachar's description, Asher and Naphtali. And they follow the same pattern. Territories, borders, cities, and numbers of cities. That, 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 that pattern continues until we get to Dan. When you get to Dan, the pattern breaks. Something changes with the pattern of Dan. 
And it's like this red flag being lifted saying something is different. Something is wrong. The pattern stops and Dan is treated differently. So look at Dan. Let's read Dan's inheritance. Verse 40. The seventh lot. The last lot. This is not a surprise what Dan is getting. The seventh lot came for the tribe of Dan's descendants by their clans. The territory of their inheritance included, and then there's a list of cities, territories. Verse 47, when the territory of the descendants of Dan slipped out of their control, they went up and fought against Leshem, captured it, and struck it down with the sword. So they took possession of it and lived there and renamed Leshem after their ancestor Dan. This was the inheritance of the tribe of Dan's descendants by their clans, these cities with their settlements. So you have the description of what Dan receives from the Lord. And then you have this flash forward. And we are allowed to see what's going to happen in the near future. And the flash forward tells us that the land that God gave to Dan, Dan did not keep. In other words, Dan did not continue to take next steps of faithfulness and experience the fulfillment of God's promises. Instead, they lost the land God allotted to them because they decided they wanted to take different steps instead of steps of faithfulness before the Lord. And when they lost their land, they decided to go to a different land that they could take without God's help and establish their allotment there in a place God did not want them to be. They decided that they didn't want what God wanted for them. They decided they wanted what they wanted for themselves. The full story of this flash forward is found in Judges chapter 17 and 18. In Judges chapter 17, there's a story about a young man named Micah who steals a bunch of silver from his mom. His mom recognizes that the silver has been stolen, and she curses the thief of the silver. Well, the son hears the curse and he's like, well, I don't want my mom cursing me. And so he comes to his mom and says, Mom, I stole the money. She says, I'm so glad you told me that. God bless you. And she tries to reverse the curse when she finds out her son and her son turned back in the money. So in order to bless her son, she takes the silver to a silversmith and the silversmith crafts an idol from a portion of the money that's been returned. And she gives that idol to her son as a way to bless her son. Her son takes that idol, sets it up in his house on a shrine and begins to worship that idol. And he appoints one of his own kids to be the priest of that idol worship. As you know, judges is occurring in a time when everyone was doing whatever was right in their own eyes and nobody cared about what God wanted. Not long after that, a Levite comes along and Micah meets the Levite and says, hey, would you, would you like to be a priest in my household? And Micah displaces his own kid puts the Levite in his place because he figures if I've got a genuine Levite 
as priest in my house over this idol, then God will certainly prosper me. The tribe of Dan does not take next steps in taking the territory God gave them. They lose the territory. They send out spies to go and find a new place that they can take without God. They come across Micah and his home on their journey. And they discover in Micah's home this idol and this priest. And they think to themselves, we would like to have a priest like this man and an idol like Michael, Micah has. And so they take by force the graven image and the Levitical priest saying to the Levite, would you rather be a priest of one household or would you rather be a priest of an entire tribe? The Levite says, I'd take the, I'd take the better deal. And so they take him by force and they go to this city which is at the far north end of the promised land, far away from their allotted land. And they find this city that is unsuspecting. They go in and they wipe it out because they can take care of this city without God's help. They cannot take care of the allotment God gave them without God's help. And they don't want what God wants. And so they go and they take this city. And once they take this city, they set up that image and that priesthood and they continue in idol worship. Because when you decide that you will not take your simple next step of faithfulness in following the Lord, your only option is steps of selfish idolatry. And Dan walks away from the Lord instead of taking steps toward the Lord. You know what happens generations later? Generations later, when the kingdom of Israel splits into two kingdoms, you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The king over the northern kingdom says to his people, there's no need for you to continue to go into the southern kingdom to worship God at his temple. Instead, just come to Dan and worship there. You know what the king of the northern kingdom set up in Dan? He set up a golden calf for the people to worship. God gave the land the way God intended the land to be given. So that each tribe would experience the some assembly life that God intended for the tribes to experience. Because it was in that experience that God wanted the people to trust Him so that they might experience His presence. And all the tribes had to see, this is what God wants for me, and if this is what God wants for me, this is how I'm supposed to experience the presence of the Lord. And Dan said, no, we don't want that. We want to go somewhere that we can take care of on our own without all the difficulties of what it means to follow God. And what they drifted into was idolatry that lasted for generations. They refused to simply take their next step in following the Lord, trusting that what God wanted for them was best and right. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm just, just brought back to Joshua's question that begins the story. How long will you delay taking the land? How long will you delay in taking your next steps? You know a delay in taking the next steps of faithfulness to God, no matter how small that next step may seem. It may seem like a, a step like Simeon. I'm getting land that belongs to somebody else. It's not exactly what I would want, but this is what God wants for me, and I'm just going to take a step of trusting Him with what He wants. Maybe it's not big and significant, but it's simply the next step of following the Lord. If you don't take that next step of following the Lord, if you delay in taking that next step of following the Lord. The only other option is drifting into selfishness. Drifting away from the presence of the Lord. Don't delay taking your next step. Every one of us in this room has a next step of following the Lord. And what we must not do is delay in taking that next step. No matter what difficulty lies before us, no matter what challenge is in front of us, we need to simply take the next step of following Jesus Christ. No delays. We're going to take the next step. And we talk a lot about taking the land. Our theme in the Joshua series is taking the land. But taking the land, that theme is not about literal land. And no question we're talking about two acres at the corner of D.B. Wood and Wolf Ranch Parkway a lot right now, but listen, the theme was established long before that became a possibility, and the theme is not about literal land. The theme is about taking the land in the sense of living for the purposes of God under the provision of God. Are you taking your very next step to live for the purposes of God under the provision of God? It's an amazing turn of events in the New Testament that illustrates this important decision in our lives. It's found with the Apostle Peter. When he is first called by the Lord, he was called by the Lord to become a fisher of man, a fisher of people. And it happened right after this amazing fishing experience. Peter and his companions have heard Jesus teach one day, and they've come out of fishing all night long. They're listening to his teaching, and after the teaching is done, Jesus says, hey, will you guys throw your net over there and see if you can catch some fish? And like, Jesus, we fished all night. We didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, we'll cast our net over. They cast their net over, and next thing you know, their nets are so full of fish that they fill two boats full of fish to the point where both boats are sinking. When that happens, the boats are starting to sink. Peter, it clicks for him. He's like, this is not normal. And he says to Jesus, Go away from me. I am a sinful man. He was terrified. And Jesus said to Peter, you don't need to be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. That's when it all started for Peter. Now fast forward to Jesus' crucifixion. Right before Jesus' crucifixion, you know what Peter did? He bailed on Jesus. He denied knowing Jesus. He, he sold Jesus out. He's like, I'm, and he had told Jesus, 
just a little bit before that in a supper time with all the disciples and Jesus. Jesus is talking about what's going to happen. He told Jesus, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to stop following you. I'll die if I have to. I'm hanging in there. And the first sign of trouble, Peter abandons Jesus. He sells him out. He denies ever knowing him. And Jesus is crucified. How do you feel if you're Peter at that point? Then Jesus rises from the dead. And he starts to appear to some of the disciples and followers. Can you imagine being in the group as Peter when Jesus appears to the disciples? I suspect that Peter was wondering, what does Jesus really think about me now? Well, after one of the appearances, Peter just says, I want to go fishing. And a couple of the guys say, we'll go with you. So they're out on the lake all night long fishing. And they didn't catch anything. You know the last question you want to hear when you're a fisherman and you haven't caught anything? Did you catch anything? <laughs> Jesus is on the shore there. It's, it's morning time and the guys are coming in from fishing. They hadn't caught anything. And this is the question Jesus asked. I love this question. He says, you haven't caught any fish, have you? Now, hearing the question, have you caught any fish, when you haven't caught any fish, as a fisherman, is a bad enough question. But when you hear the question, you haven't caught any fish, have you, it's like an insult, you know. And they have to say, no, we haven't caught a thing. They don't know it's Jesus. It's just this guy on the shore yelling out at them, you haven't caught anything, have you? No, we haven't. What do you know we don't know? Jesus says, hey, cast on the right side of the boat. And they're like, well, maybe he knows something. He says, there's fish there. Okay, we'll cast. We did it. And all of a sudden, the nets are just packed with fish again. And that's when it hits them. And John elbows Peter and says, that's Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat, swims, runs, thrashes through a hundred yards of water and gets to Jesus. Now, I love that picture. Peter knew just how sinful he was more at that moment than he knew when God first called him. And this time, He runs to Jesus because he knows who Jesus is. He runs to him. You know what they discover? That Jesus has already been on shore. He's built a little cook fire. He's got some fish cooking on that fire. Jesus then says to the disciples, hey, why don't you bring some of those fish that I just provided for you, and we'll cook those up too. And they sit down and they eat fish. And then Jesus looks at Peter, and he says to Peter, he uses a different metaphor. He says, Peter, are you you ready to feed my sheep? Are you ready to feed my lambs? Are you ready to take care of my people? He uses this different metaphor, but essentially what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, are you ready to fish for people? And I love how Jesus set that up because what he did is he, he had already been fishing and he caught some fish. He had them cooking right there for Peter and the disciples to eat. Then he provided a whole bunch more fish for the disciples said, you guys bring those over, we'll cook those too. As if Jesus was saying to Peter, I'm going to take care of the fish for the rest of your life. I'm wondering if you're ready to take care of the people. Do you want to live for my purposes? Under my provision. If you decide to live for my purposes, under my provision, I'm going to take care of everything you need, and you can live with everything you are for the purposes of God. Are you ready to take the next step living for my purposes? under my 
provision. Joshua had been doing that his whole life. He'd been doing that especially since he went into the land and and spied out the land. And he decided, I want to live for the purpose of God under the provision of God. I believe the land is the land we can take because God's providing it. And with the provision of the land, the land of milk and honey, the land we're going to experience God's provision, we are going to be able to live for God's purposes in such a way that the rest of the world will see God and they'll be able to find Him. And Joshua decided, I'm going to live for the purpose of God under the provision of God. And he did it for over 40 years, faithfully leading the Israelites. And they got God's possession. They got God's provision. And now they were ready to to live for God's purposes. And Joshua had been this amazing example to the people. Listen to what happens with Joshua because of his faithfulness in verse 49 of chapter 19. When they had finished distributing the land into its territories, the Israelites gave Joshua, son of Nun, an inheritance among them. By the Lord's command, they gave him the city Timnath Sarah, which, by the way, means abundant portion. They gave him the abundant portion in the hill country of Ephraim, which he had requested. He rebuilt the city and he lived in it. God commanded. For Joshua to receive an abundant portion simply because Joshua had been taking simple, significant next steps of faithfulness. Living for the purpose of God under the provision of God. In Judges chapter 18, it says that the tribe of Dan rebuilt the city of Laishas, called it Dan, And lived in it. Joshua received the reward of inheritance from the Lord. And he rebuilt the city. And he lived in it. It's it's quite a picture. Dan rebuilt the city, lived in it. And influence generations to worship idols. Joshua received what the Lord wanted for him, rebuilt the city, lived in it, and influenced generations to follow God. What what legacy do you want? Do you realize that your next steps determine? your legacy you will either take next steps of faithfulness before the lord which will determine your legacy or you will take next steps away from the lord which will determine your legacy what legacy do you want what story do you want to be a part of what life do you want to live This this story so resonates with me because I want, and I know that you want, a legacy of seeing the Lord bless others through your life. And it happens simply by taking one next step after another, following the Lord. 
Maybe your next step is, I just need to read my Bible several times this week. I, I need to create that pattern of reading my Bible. I need to share my faith with my neighbor. I need to, whatever your next step is, just take that next step. That's how you will create a legacy of influencing people all around you to find God and follow Him. That's how we as a church family will be a people who simply love God, love people, and help others do the same when we are all just taking our next step of faithfulness. Do not delay in taking your next step. How much longer will you wait? Don't wait another day. This week, take your very next step towards legacy. There's two little descriptions I don't want you to miss in the territories. In the territory of Benjamin. Talking about Benjamin and the different markers and borders. And there is a small name, the Stone of Bohan. Have you ever been told to go somewhere and you're told, hey, at the big tree, turn right? You ever had that kind of deal? Well, better be a really big tree. The stone of Bohan. This had to be a rock that when you're walking down the path, you saw that rock. You know, that's the stone of Bohan. In the description of the tribe of Naphtali, there was the oak of Zanim. Now that had to be some kind of oak. I mean, you give a description, all you have to say is the stone and the oak. They better be so significant you can't miss them. When I read those descriptions and those allotments, I think to myself, I want to be like a stone or an oak for the glory of God. And here's the truth. Your next steps will determine your legacy. And you will either be like Dan, who was a stone or an oak, for all the wrong reasons. Or you will be like Joshua, who was a stone and an oak for all the right reasons. What kind of legacy do you want to live? You create it just by taking a next step of following the Lord. How long Will you wait to take your next step?